teacher's voices. As voices do professor. As voices do professor. La voce La voix des enseignants. Bien, 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 Teacher's voices. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Teacher's Voices. I am your host, educational researcher Nina Alonso, and today we are talking about 21st century skills. When we talk about 21st century skills, we refer to certain core competencies that students need to thrive in today's world. Today, we will hear the inspiring stories of two great teachers, Ensil and Samaya, who despite working in very different places, the Bahamas and Nepal, and teaching very different subjects, like drama and technology, both prioritized strategies that develop 21st century skills. After these teacher stories, we will hear about Gorin Gordon's innovative work with social robots. Gorin will tell us what these robots are and how they could help teachers develop 21st century skills in the classroom. But what exactly are these skills? We welcome researcher Gorin Gordon, our special guest today. He first helps me frame the stories of our teachers, Ensil and Samaya, with his definition of 21st century skills. Hello, Gorin. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Excited to be here. Okay, so 21st century skills, sometimes called super skills. They're called the four C's. So it's about creativity, communication, collaboration, and critical thinking. And these are the four C's uh, that are uh, defined as the super skills of the 21st century where uh, we want children and other, also adults to have them to be able to deal with this 21st century skill, which is uh, somewhat crazy and dynamic, uh, also in the, in the sense of learning. There's so many things to learn and these skills of creativity, creating new stuff, communicating with other people, what you think and also listening, collaboration, which means that uh, you need to work with other people. No one can achieve uh, anything alone in this century. And critical thinking, because all the fake news around us, it's very important that you can understand what is uh, real and what is not, and do your behavior and, and choose your choices based on, on these things. I would actually add another one, which is uh, the 5C, which is not included for some reason, which is curiosity, because it's very important to be curious and be a continuous learner. Uh, in this century, which is changing so rapidly uh, that we need to learn so many things. Later, we will hear about the link between Gordon's fascinating work with social robots and 21st century skills, mainly curiosity. But first, let's use Gordon's definition to guide our new journey in search of teacher stories around the world. Today, we travel to the Bahamas, and as we land in Nassau's St. Andrew International School, we find Ensil arranging chairs over the stage, doing some preparatory work in the school theater before his students arrive. Ensil is a teacher with a broad experience in arts education. He has taught music and drama in multiple schools at different locations and social contexts in the Bahamas, and he now teaches performing arts to adolescents in the International Bac Diploma. Teaching different subjects allows you to really think about what it is that you're giving students in terms of experiences. When we think about, for example, learning in its general sense, 
the content becomes almost secondary because really we're giving them those skills that are preparing them beyond, for beyond school life. And so those 21st century skills of, hey, how am I going to use this stuff? And so it's allowing students to have an experience through the lens of a specific content area. But if we as teachers think beyond the content, we can invite them to bigger places, broader places that allow them to feel connected to real world experiences. And in that way, it's not ignoring the content, it's actually adding value to the content. And so because it becomes personalized and more meaningful for the students we engage. Ansel gives the example of a drama improv exercise that his students often practice to understand what communication really means in today's contemporary world, which Ansel believes is deeply connected with empathy and being human. I remember a time of having just two students, and it wasn't a formal stage. It was just a matter of them being on, on these chairs and they're having a nonverbal conversation and one is reaching out or pleading to the other and the other is just totally rejecting the other student. And so it's a conversation that is happening wordlessly, but with shifting chairs moving within a space. And as students um, were In those moments and having that conversation, the vulnerability of reaching out and being rejected took on many different forms. One of the th things that happened at the end of that experience was it was a, a male and a female. And they were there and they were having this experience. The male was pursuing the female and he tried everything in order to reach her. And he at one point was at her feet and the pity that she experienced startled her out of character. She was no longer comfortable with that. And so it's that where um, coming out of that, she said that that's not my personality. I, I can't see that level of groveling and be okay with that. And it was a kind of discomfort that <laughs> that she experienced, but she connected with that. And so she was able to see her limitations with her own personality and how um, what that felt like um, to be something else. And she saw her boundaries. And so in that moment, she learned about herself. She was able to explore the possibilities of something new. And then after that, she was able to try and be and access a new level of character. And so that for me was really exciting because it was evidence of true learning and again, connecting beyond um, safe zones to new possibilities. idea of empathy and, and human connection is so important. And when we see that, it's again now taking that and extending it to who they are, who they can be in the world beyond themselves. Um, when we think about that experience of the chairs and that connection and being rejected, that can come 
in losing a job or just being in a workplace or a personal relationship. It can come with um, so many scenarios for real world experience. But when we were able to take those experiences and move them to recognize and understand not only ourselves, um, but people beyond us and, and this whole idea of global issues, this whole idea of global competence, being ready to um, take on these experiences. I, I see what's happening across the world, but I am also able to understand the human condition in that because I know the emotion of rejection. I know the emotion of love or engagement or the relief that comes by, you know, what reaching out a hand to help or to think about something or to have someone think of us. By knowing and recognizing those things for ourselves, we, we also get to share the, the sense of and spirit of community. And that's where we move towards seriously that idea of global citizenship, that idea of how do we think globally, act locally. Yeah. And so no matter where you are in the world, wherever you're your spaces, but your mindset is global, but you're engaged locally with the people and spaces and circumstances around you, whether that's a preventative measure or it's something that has to deal with an issue or a good or bad issue. It's really being able to recognize the humanness and and understand the human condition in very human ways. What Ensil highlights about the relevance of developing skills that can be easily applied to the real world resonates with the teaching perspective and priorities of a teacher working on the opposite side of the world. So we leave the Caribbean scenery of Ensil's teaching to arrive in the mountainous landscape of Nepal, where Samaya, a very young and passionate teacher, welcomes us during a break in a government school where he is developing one of the STEM, science, technology, engineering and mathematics workshops that Carcana's innovative program develops along the country with very basic toolkits. is a Nepalese social enterprise dedicated to showing children creative ways of using science and technology. Karkana teachers help Nepalese children to learn how science and technology can be used to solve problems in their own lives and in their local and global communities. Samaya develops workshops with young teenagers in private and public schools, In remote public schools, the kids don't have chairs or tables and the floor is just the ground, but Samaya is eager to see their faces as they always welcome him with open arms and are extremely excited to work with Karkana's kids. As a teacher, these types of STEM education, they will not just focus on a theoretical aspect, but this, uh, somehow this uh, kind of education, they helps to build a skill. So uh, in our classes, uh, most of the time, we'll be focusing on a full skill. As a child, they should know how to think critically. Also, it's a 21st century, so we should know how we can communicate with the people, how we can communicate our idea. Also, they should know how to be creative. Also, the most important thing is this day we can't do the work alone. We need a team. We need to know how to work in a group. That means a collaboration. 
Samaya brings Karkana basic toolkits to the schools where he teaches STEAM. I'll be taking a bag that will contain a lot of material uh, where students will be using their hands to uh, read because we believe that doing the things by hands that will go directly to the minds. So how my class look like is students will be playing with a, a lot of the experimental things. So for example, if I have to teach a science of grade six or seven in the context of Nepal, our kit will be designed in such a way that it will follow the national curriculum. So if you have, according to the national curriculum in our science book, if you have the lesson called measurement, what we'll try to do is how we can teach the things like measurement practically with going outside and measuring something and doing the scientific analysis. So in my class, all of the students, they will be not sitting ideally uh, listening to the lectures of what's measurement and what's the unit of this thing. So they'll be handed over a kit that will help to illustrate what actually is the measurement. Samaya told me that he also teaches basic robotics, and I was interested in learning more about it. He explained that Karkana's pedagogy focuses on the process of building very basic robots and not on the final product, so not on a well-finished, sophisticated robot. But my belief is rather than teaching strength how to make a robot or rather than focusing on to make a final product that will work or that will talk, my focus will be how I can make strain to make sure that they'll be learning uh, new tools, like maybe most of the strain they'll be learning uh, about motors for the first time. So my focus will be in a small thing. So I particularly think that, that we don't need a high complex thing to teach the basic robotics, because if at least they have a starter knowledge where they can build their motors scale. What our focus is, rather than teaching robotics, our main focus is to teach the 21st century scale. What they'll be doing is they'll be making a robot that looks like an animal. So, for example, I'll ask them to make an animal that they recently read in their biology book. Maybe they will make a frog out of using a motor and some wires. That's all. Samaya is known by his peers in Karkana by his relentless curiosity, which links to Gordon Gordon's understanding of 21st century skills and with his current work with social robots in Israel. Having heard the stories of how teachers support the development of skills that are important to navigate today's globalized world, we now shift our attention to the groundbreaking work of Gordon Gordon. Gordon explains what social robots are and how accessible and not necessarily expensive nor sophisticated robots could help teachers in the classroom to support their students' development of 21st century skills. Your work involves developing social robots, but what do these robots have to do with the topic of 21st century skills? Social robots are robots whose, whose goal is actually to promote social interaction. So they don't pick and place in factories and they don't build stuff. They actually interact with people. So usually they have a face to uh, present facial expressions. They use a lot of nonverbal communication like pointing and gestures, and they talk to people. Their goal is to actually promote interaction uh, between the robot and the person and also between other people. So they usually either uh, look like a humanoid 
or the recently there's also this trend of robots that are abstract robots like a circle or a blob or something that can actually communicate and, and promote emotions and interactions with the robots so social robots are robots whose goal are actually to promote interaction with people and, and help people in their social interaction and not in their physical environment To picture what social robots might look like, Gordon and I talk about Star Wars robots like C-3PO or R2-D2. So C-3PO is a social robot. It looks like a person. Uh, it speaks like a person. It behaves like a person. But R2-D2 is also a social robot. So you can understand what the robot feels and what it uh, what tries to communicate, even though it doesn't speak and doesn't have a regular face. The point is that you convey by nonverbal interaction uh, the state of the robot, what it wants you to do, what it, information it wants to convey, what emotions it wants you to feel or, or you think that it feels. And it's all about the social interaction and the cues, the verbal and nonverbal cues between the robot and the person. Gorin, can you tell us about a specific sample of social robots and the skills they help children learn and how this works? So in two of my works, I, I use with social robots for children in the question of can we promote curiosity in children? So the child play with the robot on some educational content on a tablet. But the point was the robot was a peer and the robot behaved like a curious person. It says, oh, I want to learn. I wonder what would happen if, oh, we made a mistake, but doesn't matter because we learned from it. It just expressed enthusiasm of learning. And then we measured the curiosity of the child after the interaction, and we showed that children who played with a curious robot were more curious than children who played with a non-curious robot. And then later on in a follow-up study, we actually modeled, mathematically modeled uh, the curiosity of the robot. We used machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithm uh, that we developed for artificial curiosity. So the robot was actually trying to learn and choosing its behavior in order to learn. And we used the same model to actually model the child's curiosity based on its behavior. And we showed that children who interacted with curious robots were more curious than children who interacted with non-curious robots. What could the practical uses of social robots in the classroom be? So I'm working now with uh, the Ministry of Education to actually introduce social robots into the classroom as teaching assistants. So today in most classrooms, you have one teacher and many, many, many children, and it's just very, very hard. The point is to introduce robots as teacher assistants into the classroom and program into them the best pedagogy of both teaching the content like math and language, but also instilling in them the pedagogy of promoting these 21st century skills. So for example, if you have a big class and you separate them to small groups, you still have one teacher. So it either the teaches with one group or it, it goes along with, between the different groups and the teacher can't feel what's going on. I propose to actually have a social robot for each group that helps each group to actually communicate with each other, collaborate, be creative, be curious about the topic using, again, the best pedagogy that you can have. And then the teacher can actually choose uh, which group to attend without neglecting the other, the other groups. They still get both the pedagogy of the content and also promotion of these 21st century skills. So for teachers, I, I ask them to embrace this technology, not as a, you know, a fear that robots are taking a job. They're here to help in an otherwise you know, incomprehensible situation where a single teacher with so many children, you can use this robot as teaching assistants to help you take care of the children that you, can, you just can't access because you don't have the time, you don't have the capabilities, uh, and you can access, and then you can educate and not just teach. 
you can go to the students who actually have social uh, difficulties or emotional difficulties and you can help them in things that robots are, can't help. And this is the interaction. You, you need to have the teachers do what teachers do best, what humans do best, and all the you know, repetitions and stuff that, that you always say the same thing, but you don't give from yourself, put it in the robot because the robot can do the same lesson again and again. The teacher should be a role model. The teacher should be an educator. And in order to be able to give all of these things, you need some help. And the help can be in the form of these social robot uh, teaching assistants. Gordon's work is fascinating and sounds promising for teachers. So I wanted to know if the possibility of having a social robot in the classroom could work in different contexts, mainly in less affluent schools. Yeah, so it, it's actually a very good question. In my project, when I work on something for schools, I always think about scalability. If the robot is too expensive, that it can't go to schools or it's too breakable and it can't go to school because it will break and it's too expensive, then I don't want to use it. So there are, there are robots uh, platforms which are amazing, but they're extremely expensive. So you can't give it to, to schools. What we're developing are, is actually a platform which is 3D printed and relatively very, very cheap uh, and affordable to use. And the content, the teachers can put in the content and the robot itself, with all again, this nonverbal communication and interaction with the children is actually very, very cheap. So I envision that a school can have five to 10 uh, of these uh, robots. And if they break because they're 3D printed, the students themselves can actually uh, repair them because everything is in-house and they can repair it and take care of these robots. It's actually a very important point because everybody thinks of robots as being crazy, expensive, big, cumbersome stuff. Social robots are not like that. They can be relatively cheap and effective. We actually had a study comparing a very, very expensive robot and a very, very cheap robot And the educational effects were exactly the same. There was no difference, even though one was extremely interesting and the other one was not. But the, uh, the actual uh, you know, learning outcomes were exactly the same. So there is hope for teachers and schools all over the world to get their hands on these type of robots because they're becoming very relatively cheap and affordable, which is a very important point because otherwise, again, it makes no sense if you have an amazing thing that can't be used in schools. Gordon, what else would you like to say to any educators listening about the future of robots in the classroom? Well, uh, you know what? I, I want to say something else. So actually in our, uh, in one of the projects we're starting now, uh, we're also developing like a sense of community around this robot. So for example, high school students will build the robots for elementary schools in their own municipality. And suddenly you have this community sense where someone is building a robot for someone else and they're using it. And if the elementary school uh, children have their robots uh, break, they can go to the high school and work with them on repairing them and having this sense of community around these robots, which is not something you buy or something external to you. You build it and maintain it and use it within the community. You have listened to another episode of Teacher's Voices. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can find more about the teachers Karkana and Gordon Gordon's research in the show notes. Also, if you are interested in 21st century skills, curiosity and social robots, you will find relevant information on bolt.expert. Please don't forget to follow us and engage with us in conversations. Send in your feedback and suggestions by email in podcastteachersvoices at gmail.com I repeat podcastteachersvoices at gmail.com or on social media 
Let's keep on building learning communities while breaching research and practice. Teachers' voices.